Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, June 9th. We begin with a look at interest rates, specifically the effect rising interest rates will have on the financial bottom line of the federal government. We hear details on a new report on the topic from the Fraser Institute. Is Canada failing to protect its children? We catch up with Sarah Austin, CEO of Children First Canada, who brings us the results of a new study that shows we've got some work to do in the area of children's rights compared to other countries around the globe. The province of Alberta has proclaimed this week as Seniors Week. We speak with Grace Sue, Executive Director of Trico Living Well, for details on the many unique activities being offered up to keep our seniors active. And finally, we meet Ken Seaver, a Lethbridge man who owns the most eye-catching house in town. Ken explains why he chose to paint his bungalow in the colours of the rainbow and the incredible reaction he's received from the community. Interest rates are returning to pre-pandemic levels, but... Uh, what does this mean for government spending and deficits, and what's the correlation? Joining us to discuss is Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Good morning to you, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Let's talk about uh, this study, what you uh, folks have dug into here. Interest rates and the cost of government debt, uh, debt uh, the key takeaways and the correlation we can draw. Well, as the bank... As the Bank of Canada increases interest rates to combat inflation, this will not only affect what Canadians pay on their mortgages, um, it, it also drives up the amount of interest payments that provincial and federal governments have to pay to service their debt as well. So unless governments really heed the lessons that we've learned from the past and rein in spending, Canadians will continue to pay a steep price for mounting government debt. And they could ultimately face higher taxes in the future to, to deal with these interest payments um, as they start to rise um, in particular. Jake, when we see the interest rates rise, obviously we know it affects us, we the consumers. What does it mean for the government finances on the flip side? Yeah, well, right now, I mean, obviously the inflation rate in Canada hit a 30-year high, so that's prompting the Bank of Canada to raise its interest rates a few times over the last month, um, and that's also possible rate hikes um, are possible before the end of the year. What higher interest rates I mean, they help slow the rate of inflation by increasing the cost of borrowing, yet the increase in interest rates also increases government interest costs. Um, so what this ultimately means for Canadians right now at both the provincial and federal level, we're paying just over $1,000 per person on average to service government debt. Um, that could increase over time, and ultimately that may mean in the future that you face higher taxes as those interest pay- payments start to rise. And at the same time, this is money that goes simply towards servicing the debt. It doesn't go to other priorities like healthcare, education, or social services. Um, so there is a, a trade-off that we, we have to deal with um, as those interest payments start to climb for Canadians. All right. Uh, talk about the correlation between low interest rates and economic growth. Uh, you know, how, how do we see it and how do we measure uh, how much our economy is growing by offering these uh, lower interest rates when we have that opportunity? Yeah, well, recently Canadian governments have benefited from low interest rates. Um, that did keep their interest payments relatively low. And when you have low interest rates, that also means that the cost of borrowing is lower as well. Um, but at the same time, the problem really was that many Canadian governments were also imprudent with what they were spending. Um, and they were accumulating significant public debt both before and during COVID, um, which has really left government finances vulnerable to interest rate hikes. So even seemingly small changes in interest rates now can have a large impact and actually damage government finances. Um, And like I said, that leaves fewer resources for other priorities. 
Um, you know, as an example, interest payments actually consumed over 33% of government revenues for the federal government in the 1990s. Um, so that's obviously a situation we want to avoid today, um, you know, as these interest rates start climbing up once again. Jake, how can we compare or can we compare the federal liberal government or or the federal liberals and the federal conservatives uh, both today and as we look back to the mid-90s, the 2000s in terms of spendings? uh, Is there any correlation there or is one worse than the other? I'm assuming the liberals would be bigger spenders. Well, I mean, there are some similarities between today's federal fiscal situation and the situation that led to the mid-1990s. Um, when interest costs were really spiking at that time. So, um, you know, I mean, continuous deficits and high levels of spending ultimately led to a near debt crisis in the 1990s. Um, That was really after decades of fiscal mismanagement where federal debt was rising quite rapidly. Um, But what ultimately happened is when the Chrétien government came in in the mid-1990s, they had to start prioritizing balanced budgets and reducing government spending uh, to successfully bring federal finances back under control. So I think there's a lot of lessons that uh, parties of all stripes can learn about that today, um, because ultimately we are going to have to bring our our debt levels down um, in order to be prudent with finances moving forward so that we can have sustainable finances, um, you know, for our kids and grandkids as well. I want to ask you this, Jake, and I'm not sure of your age, uh, but I'm just looking into your world here. Uh, you're a senior economist with the Fraser Institute. Have you seen a crazier time, you know, as, uh, as far as an economist perspective is concerned, in your lifetime? Well, I mean, there's certainly a, a lot of things going on right now. I mean, we do have, obviously, you know, record high um, inflation rates right now. We do have rising in interest rates. Um, you know, we've just gone through this period really with COVID over the last few years as, as well right now. Um, so there's a lot of change and uncertainty. Um, and I think that's kind of why, you know, it's so important for us to really learn those lessons that we, we've seen from the past, um, what can happen if we don't, um, you know, be prudent with finances right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a, certainly a very interesting time moving forward. Um, but, you know, it's, it's ultimately important for us to, to be responsible with finances and how we're dealing with um, things that are going to affect our kids and grandkids moving forward, too. Thanks for your time this morning, Jake. Thanks for the conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you, Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. I, something he said there, and this is true, we've heard this time and time again, you know, uh, how many generations are going to have to be paying down this debt. We think about... Um, and it doesn't, it, it, you know, don't want to bring politics into it. You know, when you hear people say, well, what about these programs? These are the greatest programs. And one of the things we talked uh, about was earlier this year with the child care uh, benefits uh, mm-hmm. coming to, to help us out. It's helped me and my family 100%. Greatly. I, you know, I'll tell you that right now. But one of the things the Liberal government was saying on the weekend when the, um, you know, uh, uh, NDP and the CPC, the federal parties, were saying liberals have to do something. About one, gas taxes, taxes and interest rates, et cetera, right? Inflation, inflation having yeah. a hard time putting money on the table, having a hard time for the average Canadian family to make ends meet. They came out and said, well, well, what we've done here, we were giving a lot of relief, such as the child care uh, cuts and deals we got going, $10 a day. Mm-hmm. To which, you know, if you don't have kids in your life... I was going to say, how it's this, great for you. It's not helping me any. That doesn't help when gas is 100 bucks to fill your tank. That doesn't help when you're seeing meat and uh, the different products we use every day at the grocery store noticeably higher. So, I mean, I think yeah. that we have to really look at these sorts of things that, you know, when you, when you think you're getting a deal, who's ultimately paying for these deals? We are. We are the taxpayers. And... Um, you know, it's going to be an interesting time ahead. And I think, I'm hoping that this is the worst... <laughs> 
Well, how I mean, can it get worse? I mean, we just went through an unprecedented yeah. couple of years where the government really had to help the citizens. Um, yeah, but you're right. We're going to be paying for that for a long time. It was necessary to some degree, but what, you know, how long? How long will this last? The the reverberations from it. I have a saying, Sue, and it is that there's no free lunch. <laughs> you tell me that all the time, even though I try to get you to buy me. Yeah, yeah that's why I Never keep happens. saying it. I make sure you're clear on that concept. <laughs> a new report has been released on Canada's implementation of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Joining us to help break down the findings is Sarah Austin, CEO of Children First Canada. Good morning to you, Sarah. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Before we get into the report, can you explain what uh, Children First Canada is? Children First Canada is a national children's charity. We have the bold and ambitious vision that together we can make Canada the best place in the world for kids to grow up. We do research, advocacy, and programs to really empower all 8 million kids in Canada to achieve their full potential. Sarah, there was a report released this morning. Can you give us a little bit of an overview about what was found and what it means for our country? Mm-hmm. The UN Committee on the Rights of the Child has just issued you know, a, a, a highly critical report uh, reviewing the status of kids in Canada and Canada's efforts to protect the rights of children in our country. These reviews happen every five to ten years. And uh, I think you know, while there were some pieces of good news in the report, they commended Canada on some of its efforts to uh, improve housing and address issues like homelessness um, and more meaningfully engage adolescents in public policy making. It was highly, highly critical of Canada's um, failure to act on the recommendations that were made a decade ago and the lack of progress in protecting children's you know, very basic rights to survival and development, you know, particularly threats around their mental and physical health and the huge inequities faced by uh, Indigenous children, Black and other racialized young people and young people with disabilities and really called out um, these, these gaps and the, the lack of, of action to, to protect the rights of these children. Of course, I would think, Sarah, that the strength of an index like this is the fact that you do look globally, all, all corners of the world. So that comparison, I think, to me is, is, is powerful. How do we compare as a nation to other countries in the world when it comes to children's rights? There is a persistent myth in Canada that this is one of the best places in the world for kids to grow up, and that's simply not true. Um, the Canada currently ranks 30th out of 38 wealthy nations, which I think is pretty shocking to most people. We tend to think of ourselves as being high up on the index, but we fall in 30th place because of some of these lagging indicators around children's mental and physical health. You know, we have high rates of child poverty with nearly one in five kids in Canada growing up below the poverty line. Uh, one in three kids experiences abuse before the age of 15 um, uh, suicide is a leading cause of death for children ages 10 to 18. Now, these are pretty shocking things to think about, um, let alone some of the more routine issues that, that many children face around uh, vaccine-preventable illnesses, obesity, lack of physical activity. You know, we could go on and on. The, the, the stats are pretty quite shocking. We reveal them every year in our Raising Canada report on the top 10 threats to childhood. And I think what we're seeing in today's report from the UN is that uh, Maintaining the status quo simply isn't acceptable. Children are citizens with rights, and we can't afford to let them languish this way. Sarah, when you know, I think of poverty or mental health in particular, what are some other countries that rank better or higher than we do in Canada? What are they doing right that we should be working towards? Now, perhaps not surprisingly, many of the Nordic countries are at the top of the list. You know, Netherlands, Denmark, Norway are the top three. Um, and, you know, countries that, that find themselves in the top 10, you know, have put in place many policies that address um, issues around mental health. 
uh, but really create an enable what we would describe as an enabling environment where every child can survive and thrive. You know, these countries have programs like national school food programs that ensure that every child, no matter what their background, no matter what their economic status is, has a healthy, nutritious meal every day for breakfast and lunch. Um, Canada's the only G7 country that doesn't have a national school food program. They've, our government has stated our commitment to do so, but uh, but hasn't yet put in place the policy or the funding to make it happen. Um, you know, that's just one example. And you think, well, what's the connection between food and mental health? Well, it's critical. If kids aren't eating well, then they're not, um, they're, you know, they're not able to function well in school. Their behavior is off. Um, the high rates of poverty in our country are another great example where if kids are not getting adequate nutrition or having adequate housing or just worried about, um, you know, the necessities of life, clearly their mental health is going to suffer. Another great example is around physical activity. You know, countries that are in um, in the top five or top ten are doing a lot around keeping kids physically active during the day. And we know that Canada consistently falls far, far behind um, around ki- getting kids active, whether it's, you know, the time that's being cut back for recess or, or phys ed classes or the lack of enrollment in children in after-school programs because of them not being affordable or accessible to many families. So these are just a few examples of where we're falling behind and where we could really improve our game and improve the health of all 8 million kids in our country. Yeah, very much so. I can see that. I think that anybody would say that this is a cause that we should be behind, that this is a score, so to speak, that we should see on the rise in our nation. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. We appreciate it this morning. Thanks for having me. That is Sarah Austin, CEO of Children First Canada. Trico Living Well has a new older adult community opening up this August, and they are celebrating Alberta Seniors Week this week. With all the details, we're joined this morning by Grace Sue, Executive Director of Trico Living Well. Hi, Grace. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Okay, why are we celebrating seniors? Not that I don't think we should, but why is Trico Living Well celebrating particularly? Well, first of all, uh, this particular year, we are celebrating movement and groups, right? And uh, I think what better way to really actually to have a number of uh, events happening that we can actually showcase that. So we had like uh, immersive yoga uh, at our studio uh, on Monday. And then today we actually have a community for walking. Um, and then on Friday, tomorrow, we're going to have flower pot painting. Wow. How many people do you expect to take part, Grace? Is this something that you need to sign up ahead, or could people still have the opportunity to take part? Yeah, we do have limited uh, numbers, a few that that we can actually open up, and uh, people are welcome to our FVB to hello at tricolivingwell.com. And they can show up at uh, Trico Homes as well. It's hosted there. And Grace, are are all seniors invited to participate in your events, or do they have to live at one of the facilities that that Trico no. runs? Yeah, all seniors are welcome. So they can actually check out our website on uh, TricoLivingWell.com. Perfect. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit in case people might not be aware of Trico Living Well and exactly uh, what uh, the facility and the organization is all about. So. Trico Living Well is a new older adult community in uh, Kingsland. We promote uh, active aging and promote people living well and aging well. Uh, so we actually would welcome people to come and have a tour. We're going to open up uh, very soon in operation. 
but in the meantime, we welcome tour, so they can come anytime. Love it. It's a wonderful idea. Great way to get our seniors out meeting people and getting active and, and just, you know, enjoying life and having a great time. So thanks so much for your time this morning, Grace. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Grace Sue, Executive Director, Trico Living Well. And you can go online, find out all the details and how you can sign up as well. Even if you have nothing to do with Trico right now, but you want to take part in some of these events, TricoLivingWell.com. Yeah. And it is Seniors Week all this week. I love this. On Monday, by the way, looking back, they had immersive yoga at Fuse Fitness Studio. Fantastic. And, and more and more, what we are learning, Sue, is that image of grandma or grandpa sitting on the rocker mm. with the Afghan. Not like that, well, There's nothing, nothing better than one of those good oh, crochet. love an yeah. Afghan. And watching your shows, watching Jeopardy. Um, very stereotypical, Andrew. Thanks for that. <laughs> the whole point is, uh, our grand we should not be our grandparents. No. And we're hearing more and more about not just being physically active, but mentally stimulated as you get older. So uh, what a great opportunity. It sounds like Trico Living Well has some great programs and to highlight through movement. And maybe you can't take part in these things, but if you have a senior in your life, maybe a good opportunity to invite them out and go for a walk or try something different. I love it. And, you know, I think more and more too, I, I think a lot of seniors want to stay in their home as long as possible, yeah. but also at the same time, Maybe say you've lost your partner yeah. and you're a, you're a single senior living alone. Wouldn't I, I just think it would be really fun to live in one of these complexes where there's tons of activities and lots of people and they cook for you and they cook for you and they have great food and they cook for you. Yes, yeah, so you like just, that. That's, it's, it's your number one thing. I know I you're, already, you're already looking at retirement homes and you're a few years <laughs> out. Am. This is a, a passion project <laughs> for you. But yeah, more than that, to be social and to socialize, it takes effort. It, it doesn't happen. It's not by happenstance. You have to make these plans with fellow seniors or, you know, get involved with a group. And that's why I'm saying that it may be, like you say, if, if one spouse has lost the other or if you find yourself on mm. a different path, you know, maybe you can lend a hand to your seniors and suggest these things. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to go run the Calgary Marathon, uh, but something that's an activity that they will enjoy, that you will enjoy, gets them out of the house and gets them on their feet. Love sure. A Lethbridge man has painted the outside of his home in the colors of the rainbow, and it's getting a lot of attention, especially during this Pride Month around the world. Joining us now is homeowner Kim Seaver. Hi, Kim. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Well, I love chatting with you. I've been seeing photos of your house everywhere on social media and in the news. And I just, I think it's a super fun idea. So what prompted you to paint the outside of your house in the first place? Well, honestly, our house hadn't been painted in decades and we knew that it needed a new paint job. And I had actually um, scraped off and pressure washed the outside of the house last summer in preparation for painting it. We were hoping in the last fall, but it didn't work out that way. And so we knew that we needed to paint it soon. We couldn't uh, decide on a color. Uh, we had talked about, bandied about different color schemes, so I couldn't really agree one. And then one time we realized that there are 21 boards in our wood siding, and um, it didn't take long to recognize that 21 is divisible, divisible by 7 and that we could do it the color of the rainbow. And so we thought we'd do that and make something a little bit more vivid and vibrant and uh, colorful in our neighborhood. I think it's incredible. Uh, you're looking at the pictures, and if you go to globalnews.ca, you can watch a video of uh, you know you standing in front of the house, the befores and afters. Uh, but I'm wondering what the response has been. You, you, you make these beautiful colors. You can't help but notice it. What have you hearing from, uh, from your neighbors? Our, our immediate neighbors love it. They've given us quite positive feedback. In fact, uh, one of the next-door neighbors, the previous owners have commented on it as well since they love it, and the people who owned it before them 
came by just a few days ago. Um, he was in the neighborhood giving a quote on uh, lawn care for uh, somebody else on our street and decided to come by and visit us and commented as well, seeing that he also loves the, the, the home. We've also had a tons of feedback from people. The vast, vast majority of it has been positive. It's been a handful of negative comments, but mostly from people who complain about everything. <laughs> That's fair enough. And I do love, too, that you've had tons of people coming by to get their photo taken in front of the house, whether from the LGBTQ community or otherwise. And you've kind of got a little treat for them, those who drop by as well. Tell us about the uh, the connection with Skittles. Yeah, so we, thought, we decided, uh, we painted our house um Around the middle of May, I was desperate to try and get it done before my parents came out for a visit, and I was able to get get it mostly done by the time they got here. And then we decided that uh, one way to celebrate was during the during Pride Month is to uh, give give away bags of Skittles to people who came by, and we told them that they need to take a selfie when when they do it as well. They don't have to share it or post it or use a tag or anything like that. They can just keep it on the phone if they want. We just want them to take a picture and then hand out. Um, a bag of candy and yeah as of yesterday we had reached a total of 200 bags we've given out so far that is fantastic maybe worth a a road trip to Lethbridge yeah Uh, absolutely yeah we've had people come down from from Camrose from Edmonton we've even had um, someone come here from uh, two people come here from Berlin and you're having people donate the Skittles right like lots of people are offering to donate the Skittles including the company itself yeah, we're not having people donate, but certainly people mm-hmm. have offered. We've received nearly $700 in cash donations, and then we've received uh, roughly 100 um, bags of Skittles that people have donated as well. Very cool. Uh, we appreciate your time and, and, and all you do. You can't miss it. We'll have to come on down. And, and you know, I don't think it'll be hard to find. You just say, where's the rainbow? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've actually had people say, that we're driving around the neighborhood, can find it, and said, hey, do you know where the rainbow house is? And people say, oh, yeah, it's just down the street over here. I love it. And you even have, you can do a Google review of the house once you pop by and visit. Thanks so much, Kim. Love what you're doing and appreciate you joining us this morning. You betcha. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Kim Seaver, independent journalist. He's also an LGBTQ ally, obviously painted a house in rainbow colors down in Lethbridge. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.